and welcome to the American Patchwork and Quilting Podcast, a podcast aimed at making your quilting life more fun and creative while connecting with quilters just like you. Join the staff of the magazines you love for a great episode filled with tips and tricks. Enjoy! Hi, and welcome to the American Patchwork and Quilting Podcast. I'm Lindsay Malin, and I'm so excited to be here with you. We're all in the Christmas spirit here in the office. Later this week, we're having an ugly sweater lunch, so we'll all be wearing our Christmas sweaters and eating delicious soups. We'll have to put a picture on our Instagram account so you can see. (laughs) Today's show is a great one. We're sharing some tips for getting accurate quarter-inch seams. Yes, we know that seems pretty basic, but we know a lot of people struggle with their blocks turning out the right sizes, so we wanted to share some tips to help. We'll also take you behind the scenes at the trends we saw at Quilt Market. You'll start seeing these trends appear in fabric and in patterns soon. And on Getting Social, we chat with Jess Ziegler of Threaded Quilting Studio, who shares some fun details of her Q&A interviews on our podcast. So let's dive in. As quilters, the first thing you were probably taught was the importance of an accurate quarter-inch seam but that doesn't mean it's always the easiest to accomplish. Each machine is different when it comes to sewing your seams, and if you're in a hurry, you may be sacrificing accuracy for progress. While this isn't always a bad thing, if you find that your units and blocks aren't lining up right, these tips may help you regain your accuracy. So I'm here with Doris Brunette, the editor of Quilt Sampler, who has lots of tricks to share. Thanks, Lindsay. Precise quarter seams are really important when it comes to constructing your quilt. Um, As you begin to join your units and your blocks and your rows together, any of those little variances in seam allowance can quickly multiply and make uh, for a lot of trouble and difficulty when finishing up your quilt top. So uh, (laughs) we've all been been there. there, (laughs) So let's, first things first. So how can you test your machine's seam allowance? Because each machine is a little different. And especially if you're changing out your feet or your, you know, your stitches often, you may find that your needle's in a different position for a quarter inch seam than you were expecting. Yeah, there's a lot of tools out there for testing your seam allowance, but one of the easiest ways to do that is to use an index card. The lines on an index card are a quarter inch apart, so um, you can see if your machine is sewing exactly on the line. You can stitch on the line and then check it with one of your acrylic rulers. Um, A graph paper with a quarter inch grid, which I have some of that at my house, um, and it's easy to find anywhere, that can be used in the same way. You can also test your machine by sewing scraps of fabric strips together, excuse me. Uh, cut three one and a half inch wide strips of fabric. They don't need to be very long. Seven, eight inches is plenty. Join them together with a quarter inch seam just as you would a strip set. Press the seams away from the center strip and then from the right side of the fabric lay your ruler on top and that center strip should measure exactly one inch wide all the way down the length of it. If it doesn't, adjust your machine accordingly. If these methods show that your quarter seam is off just a little bit, it's easy. A lot of machines, you can adjust the needle on it or you can adjust the placement um, where you put it under your foot. It's easy enough to get it more accurate. Yeah. How often do you test your seam allowance, Doris? I do usually every time I turn my machine back on. Oh, wow. So um, because I do have a computerized machine that the needle can 
um, change and it has a default position so mm -hmm. it doesn't go back to where it is when you turn the machine off it goes back to that default right. position when you turn it back on so typically I do every time I turn my machine on Wow! and sometimes if you're sewing for a long time all day at a retreat or something you might want to test it a little more often than that even yep good tips so once you figure out if your machine is sewing an accurate quarter inch seam how do you ensure that you're keeping that quarter inch seam as you sew well, a good tip that someone shared with me was to use the needle down position. Anytime that you stop to remove a pin, because you just, even if you don't lift that presser foot, if you pull that pin out, it can shift your fabric um, to the side. So it's a good idea to have it in the needle down position because then even if your fabric shifts a little bit, your needle's still gonna have that seam in the same spot. Um, and anytime you lift your presser foot, of course, make sure your needle's in the down position. And then another good tip, and I have a hard time with this one because I'm a fast sewer, <laughs> um, is to slow down because it will give you a lot more control. You know, change it to that little bunny rabbit setting or, you know, the little <laughs> turtle setting versus the bunny rabbit setting on your machine. Um, and it can be very helpful in keeping your seams straight. Yeah, those are great tips. They're basics, but I think it's things people sometimes forget when they're rushing ahead on their projects. Another co common problem that I've personally experienced is that sometimes your seam can get crooked as the feed dogs like pull your fabric under the foot or the fabric gets puckered or pulled down into the hole of the throat plate. Do you have any tips to prevent this? Yeah, and this, it is incredibly frustrating when that happens. It used <laughs> to happen to me all of the time. Um, and the best tip I was ever given was to use leaders and enders, particularly a leader piece. Just take a small scrap of fabric. It can be, doesn't have to be anything to make a block out of, just a little scrap, and put it under that, between your feed dog and your presser foot, um, to start the seam on that scrap first. And then just piece right off of that scrap onto your, whatever units you're putting together, your squares or flying geese or whatever and it'll keep a nice clean seam at the straight seam at the beginning of each of your pieces. And then the other tip is to change out your throat plate. This is one that I forget all the time because most, most newer machines have throat plates that you can switch out um, with more open throat plate hole that is used for zigzag and um, blanket stitches, that type of thing. Um, and then there's one that has just the hole in the middle for using for straights, uh, straight stitching. And that will help from pulling that fabric down into the bobbin area and um, giving you that rough, <laughs> rough start. <laughs> yeah, that always <laughs> happens to me when I do triangle squares. Yes. <laughs> so if you're still having trouble getting a quarter inch seam after you've done all of these things, what are some tools or tips to provide a little extra help? Well, most people will use a quarter inch foot with a guide and a lot of machines come with them, but even if they don't, it's easy enough to find one. Um, there's even universal ones out on the market. You don't have to necessarily find one that's the brand of your machine. Um, it's simple to just run the edge of your fabric along that right hand edge of the foot as you sew. It's gonna keep a nice steady seam uh, allowance for you. Uh, and if you don't have one, the other thing you can do is a nice kind of a, like cheap little hack to do is to stack layers of washi tape or masking tape. Just stack them, make a little layer stack about five to six, in, five to six layers thick um, and place it on your machine a quarter inch away from the needle. That provides the same kind of buffer as a, a quarter inch foot would. Yeah, that's the, the trick I use all the time on my machine. Yeah, I just, the, and I, the washi tape is so pretty, so it's a little pop yeah. of color. <laughs> right. <laughs> Uh, so before we go, I have one more question. So a lot of times a fabric may call for a scant quarter inch seam. 
And I think this can be kind of a mystery to some people. And I know the first time I heard this, I had no idea what measurement was expected from this. So do you want to kind of explain what that means? Sure, it is kind of kind of confusing. <laughs> what do you mean by that? <laughs> um, the simple explanation is that a scant quarter inch is sewn about three fibers of fabric short of a quarter inch seam. Usually a scant quarter inch seam factors in the bulk of the fabric when you press your seams um, and, the even, and even the width of the thread. Um, that little amount can really help points line up and it's commonly called for when sewing triangle squares or flying geese units. It's not an exact science, but if you're still finding that your units aren't lining up correctly, even with an accurate quarter inch seam, it might be time to try that scant quarter inch. Yeah, I have tried that before and sometimes it's just that little, little extra tweak. Yep. Especially, um, I, I hate pressing. It's my least favorite part <laughs> of the process. And if you're not pressing the best or your iron just isn't right. giving you that crisp seam, sometimes things just don't turn out quite right with your pressing. So right. that little extra space can sometimes help. Thank you so much for those tips, Doris. And we actually have a great video online that demonstrates a lot of the techniques we were talking about today. So if you need a little help visualizing or you just want an extra refresher, you can visit our show notes for the link. We'll be back after this quick ad break. Hey folks, it's Hunter Lewis, Editor-in-Chief of Food & Wine. This fall, we're launching the new Food & Wine Classic in Charleston with our partners at Southern Living and Travel and Leisure. And we wanna see you there. This incredible three-day culinary experience will showcase the hospitality, food, drinks, and culture of one of our favorite cities in the country. Join us September 27th to 29th to learn more from iconic chefs, share a glass with innovative wine experts, and get to know Charleston with one-of-a-kind experiences curated by the experts at Food & Wine, Southern Living, and Travel and Leisure. Tickets are on sale now at foodandwine.com forward slash Charleston Classic. That's foodandwine.com forward slash Charleston Classic. See you down in Charleston. I'm back with Doris and Jody Sanders, the editor of American Patchwork and Quilting. So a little over a month ago, our group got to go to Quilt Market in Houston, and we finally got a chance to get together and talk about all the trends we're seeing. So Jody and Doris are going to share some of those quilting trends with you now. We feel so fortunate to be able to go to Quilt Market and be able to see the new things that are going to be coming out. And we also get an opportunity to see some of the quilts at festival that are up so we can also see what people have been making. So sometimes it's really stark and we see, oh my gosh, this was something that maybe we saw a couple years ago and it's just taken that long for the quilts to get made. But we see a lot of really new cool stuff too. And so uh, I'm so happy to be here with Doris today to kind of tell you guys about some of the things we're seeing. So of course this is the new stuff. And so you'll start seeing it in your shops um, probably January, February, March uh, of 2020. And that's the kind of things we're going to be talking about today. So uh, one of the topics that we kind of broke it down to, and I should say we do come back to uh, our group for the folks that aren't able to go to market and we give them a trend report as well. So it's kind of fun to come back and, and hear uh, what people are seeing and what they think is going to be popular and in stores in the next few months. So um, I think the first category that's kind of fun to look at is the animal. Animals. And Doris, what were some of the things that you were seeing in terms of animals at Quilt Market? Well, as, as we all know, going to local quilt shops, animal fabric is always, seems to always be popular. It just kind of varies what type of animals. So um, woodland animals have been doing well for many years now. They've, that's been in the trend. Um, and we're still seeing a lot of foxes and, and those type of animals. Um, but this year, uh, llamas were really big, definitely. A lot of um, chickens and horses for farm-style fab fabrics. 
And I had predicted before we went that I was going to see a bunch of bumblebees because I kept seeing bumblebees in other things before going to market. And um, there were quite a few new lines and quilt patterns. Um, there were a lot of bees. So um, what what else did you see? Yeah, and you know, our favorite cats and dogs. I mean, everybody loves their pets. And so I think what we've heard in the past is that people who are cat lovers will buy any breed of cat fabric. And dog lovers tend to like their particular breed. So they can be a little yeah, more selective. Yeah, that's kind of interesting. <laughs> and so after I'd heard that a couple of years ago, I kind of was paying more attention to that. And I really found that to be true. And I did find that to be true this time as well. But I think we see cats in all different genres. So they're comical, they're whimsical, they're realistic. And they are in costumes. They've got them in Santa costumes and winter gloves and hats and cats on surfboards and cats with rainbows. And, you know, you see a lot of mishmash of a lot of kind of genres together. But I think the cats were everywhere this time. I didn't see as many dog fabrics. I did see some, but maybe not as many as, as the cat fabrics. I think if you're a cat lover, there are a lot of options for you. There's going to be even more in the next few months. Uh, I think one of the things that we were noticing too in terms of not just quilts, but we know quilters love to make bags. I mean, I myself, I can never have too many bags. And we saw them kind of in different kind of iterations. We saw, uh, I saw a lot of tote bags, so bigger bags that you could carry things to the library or to the grocery store or to your quilt group. Um, I also saw a lot more backpacks this time. I saw a lot of versions of backpacks, but along with that, um, and then also some zipper pouches, which are always popular. Uh, One of the things I did notice with the backpacks is that there's a lot of hardware out there now, and I think that's the thing in the past. Maybe the hardware hasn't been as readily available, and so people haven't been making as many of those because they couldn't find the buckles and the straps and the things that keep your handles on or the handles. And so I think that really helped. But I think there were some other things besides the hardware that we saw coming out. Um, and maybe you can talk about that a little bit. Um, some of the uh, inter- interfacings and stabilizers that are specifically designed to use with bag making. Um, Annie's, for instance, annies.com, they um, have some great stabilizers, but we saw some at other, um, other uh, suppliers, manufacturers as well. Um, but you're right about the hardware. There's, there's just a lot better variety out there. Uh, The next thing we want to talk about is maybe one of the broadest categories, but we love coming back and talking about color and what we see as maybe the color trend. And one of the things that we've noticed the last couple markets is particularly with florals, you usually would have a white background or a cream background, and then there would be a black background. And then you'd have your big, beautiful roses or whatever floral you had. But the the fabric manufacturers were kind of offering those two basics, where it's a black background and then a white or cream. But what we're noticing now, or at least what I I think we're seeing is a little bit of a trend, because we've seen it more than just one market, is using navy or purple as the background instead of a black. I, I, did you think? Do you think that that was kind of a trend as well? Yeah, I'd, I'd agree with yeah. you. Um, definitely the navies and the blues um, for backgrounds for the darker versions. And I think when we talk about color, uh, Pantone Color of the Year has just been released, and that is a classic blue. Which, if you go on and you look online, it's just a calming, beautiful 
kind of denim-y, medium-colored blue. And I think we're going to be seeing lots of quilts made and with that yes, color. Yes, we definitely saw a lot of that color, that shade of blue, as a trend when we were at market. And so. I think part of it was, you know, we saw the Sapphire exhibit. Um, it was the 45th anniversary and there was a big blue and white quilt exhibit similar to the red and white exhibit that was held in New York and then the red and white exhibit that uh, Quilt Market had five years ago. But we also are seeing books from Minikin Simpson and Edita Sitar, which are nice coffee table books that feature blue and white quilts. There's also a Martingale book out right now that uh, is from a variety of different designers. But I anticipate that that's con- continue to be a very strong trend and we'll continue to see a lot of blue and white quilts. I agree with you. Um, another one is uh, purples, um, and we, you mentioned that as a black, excuse me, as a dark background that's being used instead right. of black as well. But we noticed this first at Spring Market, um, and we saw lavenders for a lot of um, a lot of quilts that were, they had lavenders mixed with like a mustard gold color and other you know kind of earthy tones almost. Um, this time around, we saw all shades of purple and often mixed again with that mustard gold or kind of olive green colors, coral and periwinkle blue shades. Um, so it's just, it's kind of interesting. So it seems like purple is one of those colors that I think you're either a purple person or you're not. So I think it was kind of interesting to see that as broad as we did. Right. And I think we also were continuing to see really intense and saturated colors. I think rainbow is still kind of popular, but I don't think it's necessarily the Roy G. Biv that we think of when we think of rainbow colors. I see more, um, maybe instead of red, maybe a magenta or maybe a teal instead of a true blue and a lime green instead of a regular green, but they're very, very saturated. If you think of designers like Allison Glass and uh, Giuseppe Roboto of Juicy Juice and Ana Maria Horner and Tula Pink, there's a really, really saturated colors and they're just really beautiful right now. Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, And ombre is another color trend that we've been seeing that's been around for a while but um, it just seemed like every fabric manufacturer has an ombre collection out there now so it's still popular and um, a lot of a lot of different colors being mixed together yeah so it's not just like one color going kind of from light to dark but you saw a mix of colors there might be three or four or five colors all within a particular range on the same fabric just kind of melting from one to the other you think of like a a sunset or a sunrise or something and you see a lot of colors melding together that's kind of what i thought about when i saw a lot of these ombres yeah definitely Another trend was in florals. We know florals, people love florals, and I think we just saw them every which way you can do a floral. We were seeing it. We saw really realistic kind of flowers where you saw the size in um, the leaves and the petals and the colors. Everything seemed to be very realistic about what that particular flower would be. But there's some other ways we saw florals as well. Um, A lot of the big florals... um Anna Maria Horner, you mentioned with the bold colors, she had bold, big flowers. She's doing her hindsight um, collection was debuted. So it's a combination of all of her past collections um, kind of reworked and uh, mixed together. And then there's a whimsical hand-drawn um, flower, floral, sweet and subtle florals. Yeah, um, like, like the little Tilda tiny, and, yeah, right. Yeah, Some of those pinks of and small, yellows and lavenders and sweet little rosebuds and, and things right. like that. And I noticed a lot, too, that were kind of what I would describe as kind of watercolory, where they're very, 
just beautiful and somebody sat down and painted you know kind of in their mind what that particular flower looked like they weren't necessarily very realistic and sometimes the colors weren't even what you would think that flower would be but I think just the painting and the watercolor was also really beautiful in the florals yeah and I think that's something that um the, with the digital printing of fabric, um, they can really get all those subtle shades in there um, directly from like the designer's drawing or creation. So it's really, really pretty rich florals. I know that uh, as you have been working on the quilt sample, sampler shop, uh, the title that you work on, that we've noticed in the last couple of years that a lot of those shops are also showing garments. In addition to seeing a lot of quilts and bags, we also are seeing garments. And, and I think we saw that trend at market this time as well. Definitely. Um, a lot of like loose fitting tops and dresses, um, a lot of them pullover type, so you don't have to deal with zippers um, for those people that are intimidated with zippers. Um, the from rayon to cotton and linens, um, all sorts of substrates Double used gauze, in them. Yeah. yeah, really some nice fabrics out there that drape very nicely, I think. And like I say, they're not fitted most of these. They're pretty like a basic almost t-shirt in kind of a way, very loose fitting don't have set in seams, don't have darts, don't have buttons or buttonholes or zippers. Not that those things aren't great, but we are noticing, I think, people just dipping into that a little bit and, and shops trying to offer that to folks that want to try out garments. Right, really. and more of a comfortable, casual look, I think, than, than something that's really fussy or hard to, or going to take a long time to make, I should right. put it that way. Uh, we saw reproduction fabrics still. We saw some really beautiful collections of reproduction fabrics. I think there's probably fewer than there were four or five years ago where it seemed to be a lot of it on the market. I think the market's kind of adjusted itself at this point, and there's definitely a lot of people that are using reproduction fabrics, but I think the market almost had too many of them a few years ago, and I kind of feel like we're at the right place for that now. We've got the right amount of designers and the right amount of fabrics that are coming out to support um, the folks that still love to make those kinds right. of quilts. Yeah, and really nice, like, uh, just really well-done collections, a nice combination of colors and um, and motifs. Yeah, large florals, stripes, paisleys, so there's a lot of variety out there. Yeah. Um, let's talk a little bit about techniques that we saw. What were some of your favorites? Well, since I've been working on Handwork Happiness title that's coming out January 31st, um, I was happy to see that Handwork is still doing very well. Um, we saw English paper piecing. Jody and I are both fans of English paper piecing. Um, foundation paper piecing still out there, but a lot of handwork, um, a lot of embroidery, hand embroidery that I noticed. Yeah, and we were seeing that probably more as standalone projects versus mm -hmm. like in a quilt. They certainly were in quilts or in other items, but we saw a lot of embroidery designs that were just maybe put in a little hoop and used as, um, you know, decoration just like that too. So um, lots of really great embroidery patterns that we were seeing along with wool applique. And the wool applique, I think, um, has come a long way in the last few years. There's some beautiful wool. We used to think of wool as being kind of dark and um, you know, the navies and the greens and the cranberries, but now there's such a wide variety. So many pretty colors out there. Any color you want, really, of hand dyed mm -hmm. wool. And it's not just the wool necessarily, it's also the threads that you're using and maybe any kind of beads or embellishments that people are adding to their wool applique, but a lot of really nice wool applique projects as well. Yeah, and then um, 
and finally with that category is the a lot of printed fabrics that are coming out that um, stitching you can do stitching directly on uh, Sarah Thomas I know has uh, fabric in her new line um, that is specifically designed for that purpose um, we've seen it before with Allison Glass's Sunprint and um, her handiwork collection that just recently came out so um, still seeing a lot of that that type of design and I think it's going to be really popular. Yeah, again, I think it's the whole embellishing it, making it your own kind of thing. That The fabric's beautiful by itself, but hey, if you want to add some more right. stitching to Especially it. Especially on a little bag layer, or something yeah, small. Yeah, mm -hmm. it's really great. Uh, and we're still seeing unicorns and rainbows. Um, <laughs> Always. <laughs> <laughs> we didn't know. It's mostly purples and pinks. And um, for the those kind of fabrics, mostly we think of a uh, little girl maybe. But, it, you know, it was printed on fabric it also was like pieced in big quilts where you could get a big unicorn that you know you could get out of a design that you pieced but there also were some plush animals that were made with unicorns uh, as well so uh, those are some of our trends that we saw at quilt market and we're looking forward to seeing projects that you're going to be making in 2020 with some of these trends yeah, and if you're curious to see pictures from Quilt Market so you can see some of these trends, if you look on Instagram, the hashtag uh, Quilt Market, you can see some of these things we're talking about and see some of these trends. Thank you, too, for sharing that. We'll be back after this quick ad break. Welcome to Getting Social. As you know, our lovely interviewer, Jess Ziegler, just did her last Q&A for us last week. But we wanted to have her on the podcast once more to share some behind the scenes of the podcast interviews and tell us what she has coming next for herself. Jess has worked with us for a long time designing quilts, and she's a regular contributor to Scrap Lab and Quilts and More. She'll continue to work with us, but needed a little extra space in her schedule for the amazing things she has coming up. So enjoy our interview. Hi, Jess. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm so happy to be here on the other side of the uh, microphone, so to speak. <laughs> I know, right? So you just did your last interview with us last week, um, yeah. but we just wanted to have you on one more time before you were off on other great adventures. <laughs> yeah, happy to be here. Okay, so we wanted to kind of do behind the scenes of the podcast because I think a lot of people would be curious to know kind of how that whole system worked and what fun behind the scenes story you have. So um, tell us like where you record your podcasts. <laughs> okay, yeah. So I, if you, um, on Instagram, I'm at Threaded Quilting. A lot of times people will look at the pictures that I post of like a, all over um, like a wide shot of a quilt and my room that um, you're seeing on Instagram is the room that I have been recording in. Um, but it is deceptively like, it's not, I'm not complaining. It's, it's very long and narrow. So I don't actually have a ton of room in here. Like I wouldn't long arm quilt. And so at the same time, for example, I kind of have to do one task or the other. But I have a computer at one end of the room. And so when I would talk with the guests, I would, we would meet or, you know, talk over Skype. And so video chats were most common. I think only two, we didn't do video chats, but I really liked being able to see the other person and have our conversation. So I was in that room that, you know, if you check me out on Instagram, you'll see um, that's the one in the same, that, that room. But then I also 
got in the habit. So I learned as I went along that <laughs> when I would record the intros and the outros, um, not on Skype, I would try to record in the same room and it became very echoey. So about, I can't remember like at what point in time I realized like, oh, maybe we need to figure out something that has a better audio quality. So after I um, would record with the guest, I went up to my walk-in closet in my bedroom, <laughs> sat down with the laptop and I kind of had some notes of what I wanted to talk about because at the beginning I struggled through this so hard. Um, I would just kind of try to wing it and like give impressions of the interview. And I ended up just having to record so many times because I was never happy with what I said. And so I learned um, going, you know, after several interviews that if I could write out what I wanted to say and then record it in a place that wasn't so echoey, that seemed to work out best. <laughs> so yeah, the, and then, um, well, I'll, I'll leave it at that and you can ask me another question because I, I, um, there's one other spot or maybe I should just say it now. <laughs> just say it. <laughs> okay, I'll just say it. Um, the one interview that sticks out as being different was when Rachel Tomachek came to my house. Um, and so she lives in the Omaha area. I'm in the Des Moines area. And so she drove, oh, I think it's like a two hour drive. And I was thrilled that she decided to do that because that was definitely a, um, a different flavor and interesting to like, not only meet for the first time in person, but to just like sit down and be able to record. Um, and we did that because of the echoing problem. And I'm like, I am not taking her into my <laughs> walk-in closet. <laughs> so we um, sat on the floor of my oldest son's bedroom while he was at school. And we just got my iPhone out and did an audio, uh, what do you call it? Voice memo app mm -hmm. maybe. And then just recorded it that way on the floor. So <laughs> that was probably the most unusual um, spot or the, the one that sticks out to me as being different. Yeah. Is your family ever around when you're recording this stuff? Do they think you're crazy? <laughs> well, when we started over the summer, I have, you know, three boys that are, um, that were home during the summer, 14, 13, and 10, or he would have just been turning 10. And so they were home and I would, at the beginning, I just made sure I took him to my in-laws house, which is in uh, the same town where we live. And I, so I'd rush him out there just because I knew you can't really, I mean, they don't know the power of their own, like of <laughs> <laughs> uh, the clomping on the stairs and above me. Like they just don't understand how that sounds in other parts of the room. So um, there were a few times that they were in the basement and I just like asked them to play video games for, you know, 30 minutes to give me some time because there were a lot of times that they were here, but um, I tried to get them out of the picture <laughs> when, I, <laughs> when it made sense. But yeah, we made uh, it work. Fun. So I know it's hard to pick favorites, but do you have any favorite interviews or any that really surprised you? Okay. So I think my favorite was Sean Kimber because I think with her, I was just so like, I had admired her work for such a long time and it was only the second interview I did, I think. So I was still very, very nervous just about 
you know, doing an interview. Um, and so I think I had built that one up in my heart (laughs) (laughs) to be, um, like I just wanted everything to go right. And I just admire her so much. And I, so that one sticks out to me as being probably my favorite because it was somebody that I got to connect with that I, I don't know if I would have otherwise. And, um, she's just great. And I, I love her work. So. Yeah, that was an amazing interview. I like. Thanks. I always love the ones where you went a little deeper mm-hmm. into the process. Um, not that I don't love hearing about everyone's fabric lines and their yeah. upcoming books, but that one specifically, I think, was really touching. I, you know, I think about her. It really did seem um, the like the love and the art and the making was so much a part of it. And that really, um, uh, struck me. And I, that's like, that's what I want for myself too, is to be so, so enthralled with the process that you just want a project to extend. Um, so, and I think in, um, when you do this for business too, like time is money and you're trying to get through the projects you want to, you know, put good, good quality out there and, you know, be efficient with your time and to, approach making from just such a different way so far from what I am now just it just really resonated with me and I I really appreciated that about her process and her her attitude about it so Mm -hmm. so if you could interview any quilter ever do you have like a buck like a bucket list somebody you wish you would have gotten to you know I I have to say, like, I feel like I talked to everybody that I wanted to talk to. And at the beginning, again, um, I was really, I I knew kind of what the topics of the podcast were going to be. So I tried to match those as best as possible in the beginning. But when I realized that, um, well, it takes a lot longer to research because I just really wanted to be familiar with the people's work that I was talking to. And when I realized that I was only going to do, you know, like how 10 more interviews or whatever, I just kind of looked through. Um, and honestly, like a lot of this is Instagram and just being, um, social with the people that, um, I've either worked with before or wanted to work with, or, you know, like I had said before, just admired for a long time. So I transitioned from like trying to make it fit the topic to just like who I really wanted to talk to. And luckily, um, I feel like everybody, I was able to work everybody that I wanted to in and not to say that I wouldn't love to do additional interviews, but I really just can't think of one person that I wished I would have talked to and didn't. Well, that's awesome. Yeah, <laughs> that's good yeah. news. Okay. So you're busy right now. Yeah. And you have big things coming in January. I do. I wanted you to talk a little bit about them. (laughs) Okay. Well, gladly. Um, So at the, I think when we first did an interview before I started giving the interviews, I talked about a sort of membership. It was kind of fuzzy and developing at the time, but now um, I've got several months under my belt and what I'm heading up is a membership called the Long Arm League. And I'm really excited about this because it's like lonely quilters. <laughs> no. no, sometimes when you're a long arm quilter, you don't know other long arm quilters. And it's um, like we have its uh, language that we use that's even more specific than just like piecing. And, you know, so 
what we are doing is um, kind of collaborating with each other. I'll um, do a lesson every week and I'll also um, share pantographs that I've designed digitally. And so we come together as a group and we talk about issues that are um, coming up in our businesses or just like, um, I think the the next lesson I'm going to talk about is like my shipping best practices. You know, it's very somewhat, I mean, it's practical, but it's also, um, we can ask each other for ideas if we're stuck on, we don't know what pantograph to quilt out on a quilt. Um, so it's mostly business focused. It's mostly, um, women at this point, but we would be glad to, um, have some males join the group. Um, but it's mostly, uh, talking about business and trying to get more business a lot of them are just beginning and, um, you know, we have ladies that are buying machines for the first time who are adding digital components to their, um, existing setups who are just starting to take clients for the first time. So we have a little bit of a mix, but it has been so exciting and so rewarding to just, it's really what I like to focus on is collaboration over competition and, just the way that we can all raise each other up and um, be helpful and be encouraging and know that there is more than enough work to go around. And um, just to see the other quilters thrive has been just so personally meaningful to me and something that I uh, hope we can continue um, for years into the future. So the next in January, um, I am opening the membership up again because this it's it's a closed process so that I can um, really focus on serving the members that we have. And so I in January, January 6th, I'm going to be opening up the membership for um, it'll be like a three day from Monday to Wednesday. Anybody who wants to join can join over those three days. And then I shut it down so I can just like onboard everybody at the same time and really focus on the people who are in the membership and giving support and encouragement and, and lessons to them. So um, that is what's coming up next. And I hope for 2020, that's the year we're going into, right? Oh my gosh. <laughs> I know. Um, I really, I'm hoping to open it up two to three times for 2020. So if you're interested at all, you can go to longarmleague.com and sign up for our emails and get some more info. And yeah, that's, that's what my, um, my passion is right now. I'm also doing long arm quilting still for other clients. And so is that like crazy right now with the holidays, <laughs> it, it is, but I, I had to, um, I had to cut off my year in like, um, uh, September, I think. And so I am now, I think I only have, um, maybe nine left. I don't know. <laughs> so, like, I feel like the end is in sight and I'm going to take some time off at the end of the year. God. And yeah, so we are, uh, we're rolling now. <laughs> yeah. Well, good luck finishing everything. And Thanks. just thank you so much for all your work on the podcast these last six months. I can't believe it's flown by. I, it really has. And I, I want to thank you and the rest of the team at um, Meredith and with um, All People Quilt. I have loved being part of the podcast. The conversations that I've been able to have have just been amazing. And I'm just so thankful for the opportunity. It was a lot of fun. 
Well, I know everyone that has tuned in has loved hearing you. So I hope everyone checks out longarmleague.com and follows you on Threaded Quilting on Instagram so they can keep in touch with you. I would love that. Absolutely love that. Perfect. Thank you so much, Jess. Thanks. We've loved working with Jess on the podcast the last six months, but are so excited for what she's working on now. We'll link to all of her social media sites, websites, and the waitlist for the Long Arm League in our show notes so that you can keep in touch with her. Hi, all, and thanks for listening. Keep in touch. American Patchwork and Quilting is on Facebook, Pinterest, and Instagram at All People Quilt. Email us at apqpodcast at meredith.com. Resources for this week can be found at allpeoplequilt.com slash podcast. And if you love the American Patchwork and Quilting podcast, please subscribe on your favorite podcast app for free. And don't forget to rate and review the show. It helps other quilters find us. Have a creative week.